0: Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Charles Dickens once said, It is good to be children sometimes, and never better than Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. We've been going through a series this Advent season called With Us. We've been looking at how God relentlessly shows up and pursues his people. And one of the most vivid displays of that is in the incarnation when God became human. And as we look at the nativity story, one of the things that we are surprised by and confronted with is the unique way in which God shows up. We've talked about how he shows up as a stranger, and how he showed up as light in the midst of darkness, and today we're talking about how God shows up as a child. And when we reflect on how God chooses to be with us in that way, it really leaves us with this staggering sense of awe and perplexity, thinking about the God of the universe entering into our world in such a humble and vulnerable state. And so I want to be looking at three different themes this morning. Number one, we're going to be looking at how he's with us as a child uh, through his honored mother, Mary, his humble infant king, and how that leaves us with a holy invitation for our own childlike faith. So let's dive into the, the first one, because we can't talk about an infant without its intrinsically connection, intrinsic connection to its mother. And so I want to just kind of back up a little bit. Before Jesus shows up as a child, I want to look at the story that leads up to that moment, highlighting Mary, his mother, and why this is so significant in the biblical narrative. So I want to actually go back to the very opening pages of Scripture, when Adam and Eve are walking the Garden of Eden, and there's a moment that comes where They're tempted by the serpent, and Eve takes the fruit and offers some to Adam, which results in the fracturing of their relationship with God and the paradise they're walking in. And in the midst of the ramifications, as God is dealing with the serpent, he begins to start addressing what would happen to the woman. And in that, there's this line, says I will put enmity enmity between you and the woman he's talking to the serpent so he says there's going to be a war that goes on between the serpent and the woman and between your offspring so now it's talking not only about the woman but who would come from the woman and who would come from the serpent's offspring and he says this he so the offspring of the woman will crush your head serpent and you will strike his heel. And so there's something about the offspring of this woman who is now living in this fallen state that will ultimately crush the head of the serpent, but not without his own pain and infliction upon him as the serpent strikes his heel. And this of course is a, is a setup, it's the first messianic prophecy pointing towards what Jesus will ultimately accomplish as an offspring, of of eve of humanity is coming as as a human being which sets up and gives a lot of clarity to hundreds of years later while god's people are in exile there begins to be some clarity around some of these messianic prophecies let me just give you a couple one is isaiah chapter 7 says therefore the lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and he will call him emmanuel which means god with us So there's something about God's presence with us that's wrapped up in the birth. Second one, a couple chapters later, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 3 through 7, tells this really vivid story of a definitive victory in battle that happens and the joy that comes as a result of it. And so it says, You have enlarged the nation will be fuel for the fire, meaning the war is over. We are destroying the boots and the garments that have been marred by the effects of war because victory has come. And so there's kind of this large drum roll moment, like who will bring this victory? How will this winning come about? And then he says this, for to us, a child is born, which is this really drastic shift. Expecting the the prophecy to continue to talk about some militaristic warrior king, but he says, "...for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end." And so at the beginning of the Bible, you have this story, this prophetic promise that someday what has been set wrong in the world will be set right through the offspring of Eve. And hundreds of years later, there becomes again these prophecies of someday there will be a child born that will set the world right, which really sets the stage for 500 years later. In Luke chapter 1, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Listen to Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, I want you to think about what's happening here. The story of humanity as we are confronted with pain and suffering and death as a result of the fall, is largely attached to Eve's decision to go her own way, to reject God's instruction. And in so doing, we find ourselves in the wake of that. Yet, how how beautiful that God would choose Mary to become the reversal of Eve's destruction through her redemption that rather saying, I want the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She says the words, be it unto me, I am your servant. And through one woman's temptation, the world has suffered. But now through one woman's humility and willingness, the entire world has welcomed in the hope that we're all longing for. You think about the long, dark history within Judeo-Christian tradition of how women have been treated, largely as a result of Eve's temptation. Yet, oftentimes it's very much overlooked at how much of that has been reversed through Mary's faithfulness. You think about how even within the relationship with God, the temple had a court for the women. They, they were never allowed to come close. They were never allowed to enter into God's presence. It's within that that Dr. Cheryl Bridges-John reflects on this with this beautiful, beautiful um, insight. She says this, When Mary was filled with the Spirit and conceived the Son of God, her own body became the inner court of the Holy of Holies. Never before had a woman entered this sacred space. But the Incarnation, the Holy of Holies, came into her space. The incarnation paved the way for eve's daughters to enter as priests into the sacred zone of the triune life in mary's priestly body she carried the great high priest and the lamb of god in spite of this wonder far too many christians continue to construct a court of women blocking off women from their rights as royal priesthood far too many women continue to stand outside the inner court yet just as Ezekiel was carried by the Spirit into the inner court, more and more women are being taken by the Spirit into the same space. When the Spirit, doesn't, when the Spirit comes, don't hesitate. Be it done unto me. My friend Christina Crenshaw, who's a professor um, out of Baylor, says this, For all the blame Eve has borne through thousands of years of biblical and church history, there is no doubt God loved her and her daughters, that the Lord chose Mary, a woman, a woman, to bear Jesus, that Jesus first appeared to a woman at his resurrection, speaks to the value he places on women, bringing forth the good news of his gospel. There's something so redemptive about Mary being chosen as the vehicle that would bring about the redemption, especially in light of Eve's own fault and the messianic promise that comes through her, which kind of really highlights that when Mary receives this word it says that she actually sings a song i don't want to read you what has become to known as mary's song in her response she says this my soul glorifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name in her commentary on this passage says on the one hand Mary was just a girl an immature and frightened girl who had the good sense to believe what an angel told her in what seemed like a dream but on the other hand she was the mother of the son of god with faith enough to move mountains to sing about the victories of her son as if he were already at the right hand of his father instead of a dollop of cells in her womb when we allow god to be born in us there's no telling No telling at all what will come out. And so, before we talk about God coming as a child, we must first recognize the means in which He came and the redemptive story that that begins to start telling. But then we get to this point where we realize that when God came, He didn't just show up. He went through the process in which we've all come through the process of what it means to be human. And there's something so miraculous about the birth of a child. There's something so humbling, There's something so fearful because of the vulnerability and the fragility that comes with the birth of a child. I remember holding each one of my kids in my arms as they're born and thinking about the preciousness of their life. And how everything in my world has stopped because of the need to care for this new being. And that at one time, God needed that same sort of care from the people that He created with His own words. You think about the remarkable paradox that that is. One of the passages we've kept referring to in this this series is Philippians chapter 2. When it says, Who being in the very nature God... Didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage; rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being being made. Sorry, rather he made himself nothing, being taken the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In John's telling of the nativity story, from a theological perspective, he reminds us that he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him because they didn't recognize that He would come in such a provocatively humble and vulnerable way. I mean, I don't know if there's much else in our world that is as vulnerable and humble as a newborn baby. Let me just give you a few statistics about newborn babies and how it just paradoxically frames the humility that God had to come that way. For instance, you know that babies can only see eight to ten inches from their face? Hebrews 14 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. So we have the God who can see everything, can now only see eight to ten inches from his face. Did you know that baby's color vision isn't developed till four months? But in Revelations 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 4, it talks about how there is a rainbow literally surrounding his throne. And yet for four months, this infant baby wasn't even be able to process colors. You know that babies really can't start to formulate real words till about twelve months. And yet Genesis 1.3 says that God created the entire creation through his words. And so the word himself could not speak for months. You know that babies sleep fifteen to twenty hours a day, which is a majority of their day they're they're sleeping. Yet Psalms 121:4 says behold he keeps Israel with neither slumber nor sleep so the god who never sleeps now can't seem to keep his eyes open You know that babies can't control their hands and their arms until 3 to 6 months which is staggering, thinking of Psalm 136, 12, when it says, With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. At the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God was uncontrollable in his infancy for three to six months. You know, the babies can't feed themselves, which is a little bit remarkable, considering that Jesus called himself the bread of life in John 6, 35. Another interesting fact is that babies are born without kneecaps. There's no Bible verse for this, but I thought it was kind of funny thinking about Jesus being born without kneecaps. <laughs> Saint Augustine says it well. He says, "Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on his journey." that truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation was suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Madeline Langle says this, The virgin birth has never been a major stumbling block in my struggle with Christianity. It's far less mind-boggling than The power of all creation stooping so low as to become one of us. So you have the incredible redemptive journey of what Mary's life represents in restoring the fallenness of Eve. And at the same time, you have just the absolute humble and vulnerable state that Jesus came as an infant king. And so it leads us with the question, well, what's our response? What does this mean for us? Well, I think for us it means that Jesus' coming as a child leaves us with the holy invitation. What I mean by that is in when Jesus begins his ministry in three of the four gospels, there's reference to Jesus looking at children and babies as actually the pinnacle of who we should be in the kingdom of God. Let me read you some of these passages. Mark chapter 10 says that when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Matthew 18.3 says, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Thinking about that, we actually have to be converted to be like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. One chapter later, Matthew 19 says, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And Peter, Jesus' disciple, and his Pastoral letter says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that it may be so that by it you may be grow up into your salvation, now that you have tasted the Lord is good. I mean, think about this. Christ's coming as an infant, as a child, was not only an avenue in which he came, is actually a model. In which he invites us into we are actually to follow christ's example in becoming childlike maybe this is why jesus even uses the language of being born again That we're called into that and so just just some thoughts on what does it mean for us to be childlike this advent season as we worship the infant king as we worship the one who became like a child just just three quick thoughts number one children have within them a radical belief an ability to believe secondly children have a redemptive imagination and thirdly children have a resilient joy let me just get a quick note on each when you think about children in the way jesus talks about it the first thing that comes to mind is their level of belief and faith the way they trust tozer in his book the pursuit of god says now as always god discloses himself to babes and hides, hides himself in thick darkness from the wise and the prudent. He must simplify our approach to him. We must strip down the essentials, and they will be found to be blessedly few. We must put away all efforts to impress, and come with the guiltless candor of childhood. If we do this, without, do- without doubt, God will quickly respond. We must enter in with the candor of childhood. The poet Strawn says this, Father, I'm ready to believe again, that strange miracles can happen, miracles that affect history, even my history, turning blank pages into living poems. And so I would just encourage you this, this Christmas season, as you reflect on Christ becoming a child, you feel the invitation of yourself becoming a child. What does it look like to believe again, like a child does? Um, We have one of the electric bikes because we live in Encinitas. It's now a requirement to have one of those. Um, And what's interesting is when I take my kids on the electric bike, how they sit on the electric bike and how they enjoy the electric bike is contingent on their age. So my oldest kids tend to ride with a level of kind of conservative safety kind of like um, posture, holding onto the rails, but my youngest Uh, chooses to, there's just a freedom that he has that we actually have to be mindful of. He likes to sit backwards. He's laughing and giggling the whole time. There's something that over time, our level of trust in our Father can erode into a trust of our own self. What would it look like for us to be like children again, having radical belief? The second thing that children have is they have a redemptive imagination. Um, yesterday we were setting up Brian and Caitlin's house, they're moving here actually this Sunday from South Africa and we we're unpacking boxes and trying to get their house ready for them as much as we could and and the children were taking the boxes and bringing them outside and when I went outside as we were cleaning up they had built this whole cardboard mini village and I thought about when I was unpacking these boxes I'm like oh this is trash when they saw those very same things they're like this is a city and I think there's something about children that actually have an easier access point to their sanctified imaginations, Tozer calls it, of utilizing what God has given us to imagine what could be. And I I would just encourage us this season as we reflect on the invitation to become childlike as Jesus himself became a child. What would it look like for him to redeem our thoughts, to redeem our imaginations? 2 Corinthians 10 says that we should take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. N.T. Wright says, Stir up the imagination, because the imagination is one of the faculties with which we humans perceive that larger world than the rather shrunken world we always are tempted to live in. The larger world within which God the Creator is doing new creation, is redeeming us, is rescuing us, and is bringing us forward in His purpose. And so when it comes to when it comes to our imaginations, oftentimes they are hijacked by the enemy. For example, anxiety is a distorted use of our imagination where there should be a level of trust and peace in our imagination when God is present. Lust is a distorted use of our imagination where there should be a level of love and beauty that God stirs up in our mind. Greed can be a distorted use of our imagination where there should be a sense of delight and generosity and creativity that flows from it. So what would it look like to say, Lord, would you come and would you redeem my imagination to be that of a child, like you were a child? And then this is the last thing I just wanted to say. Maybe one of the most obvious things when it comes to becoming like a child in the same way that Christ became like a child has to do with our joy. This week is the third week of Advent where we light the candle of joy. And I think what a better time for us to focus on what does it mean that Jesus became like a child? That he wasn't just some stoic child walking around in a robe and um, barely speaking. and He was a kid. There's something joyful about thinking of Jesus running around with his, with his cousin John or getting into just child pretend and mischief and all of that. And, and I would just encourage us that this would be a season that we are reminded that Jesus invites us into joy. First Peter says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. C.S. Lewis talks about how joy is the serious business of heaven. Last verse, Romans 15, 13 says, I just want to pray this over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And so I would encourage you this season, like, lean into joy. Why? Because we're invited to be a child in the same way Jesus became like a child. I've always read the verses of childlike faith, and I've just thought about attributes of being a child, rather than the actual example of Jesus being a child. So when he says, become like a child, I wonder if he's saying, do what I did. Enter into that space. Have a open deep belief have redemptive imagination and lean into resilient joy why because of the infant king and the way that he came and the redemption that he has sowed into the world around us with this season in the midst of the very real sense of pressure stress maybe even for some of you loss may you find moments where you can rest in the deep invitation that God has come to give you a full sense of his joy. God bless you. Grace and peace to you. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.